0: Well, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 120. We're starting a new series in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Thus ends our reading of... God's truth giving word. May all who hear it understand the peace that they have in Jesus Christ. Picture yourself nearing the end of a long and arduous journey. It's roughly 2,500 years ago, and you have been traveling by foot for days towards Jerusalem. You're tired, you are exhausted. And yet you continue forward, knowing that you are approaching the the end of your excursion. There, off in the distance, you you see gleaming rays coming from the heights. It is the light of the sun reflecting off the white stones of the newly constructed temple. In your joy, you you hasten your steps, even though you are wearied, because, because you know that your journey is almost complete. Surrounding you are your fellow pilgrims. Many of them are family members and friends. Many more are faces that you do not recognize. They are strangers even though they are Jews. And yet you all travel together in unity as you have come to celebrate the annual feast, as you have come to worship your God. And as the sweat drips down your brow from the heat of the sun, you begin to hear a familiar tune. It is that first psalm of ascent One of those songs that you sing every year as you start hiking upwards towards Mount Zion. No longer do you feel tired. No longer do you feel worn out. For a renewed spirit has come upon you as you lift up your voice to join in the chorus. The praise that you now bring to your God has given you a burst of energy as you now realize that you are home. As I mentioned before, today we are starting something new. During these winter months leading up to Easter, we as a church we will be looking through the book of Psalms. And the Psalms, they're, they're a fascinating portion of God's Word, unlike any other book of Scripture. Not only is it one of the largest books of the Bible, but it also has the greatest number of authors. It's 150 chapters, combined the works from King David, King Solomon, Moses, a hymnist named Asaph, who you probably never heard of, as well as others. But but why are there so many authors? Why, Why didn't God choose one man to write these Psalms? Well, it's because the Psalms were basically the hymn book of ancient Israel. They they were the songs that the Israelites sang when they worshiped their God. And if you look at any modern day hymnal, you you will see that there are numerous authors all with their different music styles and different types of prose. And this was no different than what the, the ancient Israelites had. Many different songs, each with their own melody, each with their own theme, each with their own stylistic approach when it came to poetry and music. One could be a song of wisdom. Another might be a song of lament. A third might might be a song of praise and thanksgiving. And even though each psalm could stand on its own, we find that there are certain psalms that, that connect with one another, giving them deeper meaning than they might have on their own. You see, certain psalms work in tandem with one another, complementing the previous. And we even have groups of psalms that are, that are linked with one another in order to serve a greater purpose. These group psalms could be like into a modern-day musical, right, where each song progresses the story. We will be going through what are known as the Psalms of Ascent. These are found towards the end of this, this massive hymnal. They begin with Psalm 120 and they end with Psalm 134. Fifteen psalms in all, each one building off the previous one in order to complete a common goal. And what is that goal? It is to prepare the hearts of God's people for worship. You see, these songs of ascent were were pilgrim songs. They were songs that were sung by those journeying to Jerusalem. These verses that we will be covering this winter, they, they would have been sung by these Jewish travelers as they would have been walking together, making their way towards the city of David, towards the temple within in order that they might celebrate the annual feasts. And because Jerusalem, and in particular the the Temple of Yahweh, because they were built in the heights, the people who were journeying there were ascending as they traveled. Hence the title, Psalms of Ascent. One doesn't go down to Jerusalem. Rather, one goes up to Jerusalem. Now just like the book as a whole, these 15 psalms that we will be looking at, they were authored by different men. Some have been ascribed to David, at least one was written by Solomon, but the majority of them, we, we simply have no clue as to who the authors were. And again, because we have numerous authors, we will discover that each psalm will, will carry a different tone and a different theme. Stylistically, they will look different, but that's Okay. Because they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they all work with one another, fulfilling that greater purpose. The purpose of preparing a worshiper's heart. Think of this as as a worship set list, right? Not all the songs will sound the same. Rather, they will complement one another as we go through them. And this is what they're meant to do. For these songs, they, they were actually incorporated into the temple liturgy after the Jews had returned from exile and the second temple had been newly built. And so these songs, they, they reflect a people who had once been exiled and have now returned to the land with grateful hearts as well as with grieving hearts. And that's where we see a slight difference in these psalms in much of our modern-day Worship. That's because most songs that have been written in the past hundred years tend to ignore any form of lament or any descriptions of God's divine justice. Instead, everything that we have today has to be happy, has to be positive, right? I mean, just think about the slogan of one of the most popular Christian radio stations today. I know you know the tune Positive, encouraging. Someone said it. <laughs> yeah, Caleb, right? You see, on Caleb, there's no room for lamenting. There, there there's no room for divine warnings of impending judgment. And, and this is truly sad because when we when we leave those things out, when we leave out the truth about our fallen world. And the truth of God's divine justice, it gives us a false impression of the gospel and a false impression of God. These psalms offer to us a corrective to our error. And these songs of assent are no exception. For we will find both lament as well as cries for God's judgment. And we see this in our very first tune, The first familiar song that the people would sing as they approached the mountain is an example of God's divine justice on those who would defy him through the use of deceptive words and a violent heart. This first psalm of ascent is a song of distress. It is a song of a man who has been living in anguish because of the persecution that he faced. A persecution that had been brought about simply because of his faith in the Lord, his God. And yet, at the same time, this first psalm is a song of hope as well. This man will not be discouraged. And the reason he's not discouraged is because he has complete confidence that his God hears his voice. And this is demonstrated to us in the very first verse. Look at at Psalm 120, verse 1, once more. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And these are the words of a man who has supreme confidence in his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I don't know about you, but I would love to claim those words for myself. The Lord Almighty answers my cries for help. But how can this man who was in such distress be so certain that he would receive help from his God? Well, one possibility is that this psalmist had already received help from the Lord. And if this verse was an island, if this verse was all by itself, then that would be the simple interpretation that we would have to take. For our author is speaking in the past tense. I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And yet this verse is not alone, rather it is the beginning of our song. And as we'll soon find out, this man's problems have not yet been taken care of. But if that's the case, then then this use of the past tense, it doesn't speak of an answer that has already come. Rather, it speaks to the supreme confidence that our psalmist has in his God. He is so certain that God will answer his plea for help that he speaks as if it has already happened. In other words, this, this word of assurance from our psalmist is that God will surely act. Our writer has the conviction that God will demand justice. That he will right the the wrongs that have been committed. And all the psalmist has to do is to wait upon the Lord. Oh, that we as his church would display a similar faith as our author here. Dear friends, such great faith should be the rule and not the exception. In fact, all who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior should take a cue from our songwriter. They should understand that that everything that God does is for the good of his people and that he hears the cries of those whom he has chosen when they call out his name. Let me ask you, do you have confidence in your God? Do you believe that the Lord hears you when you pray? But not only that he hears you, but that that he will answer your cry for help when you are in distress. Psalm 145 verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call on him in truth. Brothers, sisters, God hears the voice of his people. Of this you can be certain. And so, if, if you are in distress, if there are troubles in front of you, simply call upon his name and he will answer you. But what was the distress that our author was facing? Look at, look at verse 2 from our psalm. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. And so the origin of our author's troubles begin with lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Apparently those who were around him were using deception to bring trouble to our psalmist. Their their treacherous lies were causing this man's downfall. And that was why he was now seeking God's help for deliverance. This is the way of the world, is it not? Those who oppose God will, will use falsehoods, will use fabrications in order to convey the, the message that they want you to hear. And that's because they hold to a worldview that, that, that they want you to adopt as your own. And at first glance, their message seems good and wholesome. It sounds like a message that conveys life, and yet where it actually leads is death. And that's because the world uses cunning in their speech. It's a trick that they learned from their father, the devil. Look at at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, She took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so you can see the beginning of our troubles began with a lie. You will surely not die. This God whom you think is good is really just just holding you back. It was this lie that led to our deaths. Listen, the, the, the culture of death, while it begins in the heart, it is carried out through the tongue. That's the way it has always been and that's the way it will always be. And that's because the devil's strategy has always been to deceive that's how he fights in his war against god consider the words of our lord from the gospel of john look at look at john chapter 8 verses 42 through 45 jesus said to them if god were your father you would love me for i came from god and i am here i came not of my own accord but he sent me why do you not understand what i say You see, what Jesus pinpoints for us here is that the way of the world is the way of the devil. That that their wickedness and their violence begins with a deceitful heart. I mean, consider some of the, the great sins of our world. Which of them would you consider to be the most evil? If you're like me, your mind will tend to go to those sins which are horrific and filled with violence. You will consider men such as Adolf Hitler and and Joseph Stalin. You will think about the pure evil that they wrought. You'll think about Mao Zedong or Genghis Khan and the body counts that were immeasurable. And while it's true that these men were cruel and vindictive and that they were the cause of millions upon millions of deaths, what we often forget is that these men couldn't have done any of what they did without their greatest of weapons, their tongues. They needed to convince their vast number of followers that death is good. And the only way they could do so was through their lying lips and their deceitful tongues. This is what our psalmist faced. Treacherous lies and whispers in the dark. He was faced with a message claiming that violence was the way and that death was the ultimate good. And this was causing this man extreme anguish. I mean, consider his complaint in verses 5 and 6. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar." Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. So, what does our author mean that he sojourns in Meshech and that he dwells among the tents of Kedar? Well, Meshech was located in, in Asia Minor near the Black Sea. And yet, Kedar was that that speaks of the Arab tribesmen that dwelt in the Arabian desert. Two regions that couldn't be much further apart than they already were. So how could our psalmist be living in two different places at once? Well, he obviously wasn't. Rather, he's using poetic license here to describe the conditions of his true community wherever he lived. You see, the region of Meshech was it was so far north that it was considered to be the home of barbaric people. People who were ruled through the use of violence. And the Arab tribesmen of Qadar were were a ferocious people as well, often raiding the surrounding nations in order to build up their own wealth. And so what our psalmist is describing here was that the people amongst whom he lived were no better than those pagans who lived in those two violent regions. But, But there's more to what he's saying here than that they were just violent. For, for he is also communicating that he doesn't even feel that the place where he lives is his home. That, that's why he words uses the word sojourn and, and dwelling in tents. For, for our author does not feel that as if he has any permanent dwelling, even though he may. And that's because there is no peace where he lives. It's because he's surrounded... By those who hate peace. All of their messages, all of their deceitful words have led to a violent, violent atmosphere. And their lying lips have have led to, to trouble for those who desire to follow God's ways. Maybe you don't feel at home where you live. Perhaps you wonder how you came to be surrounded by those who love death. You see, just like our psalmist, we too live in a culture filled with lying lips and deceitful tongues. There there is a narrative that our world wants to push that longs for death. And that narrative is that God's ways are wicked and that death is the ultimate good. This is why the majority of Americans label the slaughter of the unborn as reproductive health. It's why they believe the, the mutilation of our youth, and in particular our, our female population, so that they will never be able to reproduce, is an affirming medical treatment. It's why they now push for the termination of our elderly, as well as the deaths of any whom they deem to being not fit to live. And instead of calling it what it is, which is murder, they label these things as a good death. And that's because they no longer see the value in life. Nor do they understand that the image of God has been placed upon each and every one of us. Brothers, sisters, we too sojourn in Meshech. We too dwell among the tents of Qadar. You must realize that the, the world in which you live longs for death, and they will fight tooth and nail to bring it upon us. Well, living in such a violent surrounding, our psalmist has become tired. He's tired of the lies. He's tired of the affliction that his enemies bring his way. And that is why he cries out to the Lord, pleading for divine justice. Look back once again at verses 3 and 4. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Even though our psalmist is confident in the Lord's deliverance, he he now conveys his desire for divine justice. He prays for God to bring his judgment upon his adversaries. And the way that our our psalmist asks for this is indeed just. For his desire is that God would bring upon them the fulfillment of their own deceitful words. Let me explain. Often in God's word we, we see lying Tongues described as, as both the biting sting of an archer's arrow as well as the scorching touch of the flame. Consider Proverbs 25, verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Or consider Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 8. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. What these metaphors do is they, they lay bare the true venom of the lives of men, that they truly are the deadly stings of arrows. But what about the glowing coals of a broom tree? What even is a broom tree? (laughs) The the, the broom tree is is a tree that grows out in the desert. And in ancient times, it was often used for the purpose of creating burning coals. And that's because its wood would burn white hot and its coals would would last longer than any other wood. And and so our our psalmist is asking for God's judgment in the form of the searing heat. And this too is is no surprise, for in God's word we we often see lying lips described as flames which burn the skin. Look Look at Proverbs 16, verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Or how about James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And so so in these verses, we see that these vicious lies are, are, are like both the stinging arrows and the flaming coals. They bring about violence. They bring about death. And that's why our psalmist pleads to God for his justice. That the warrior's sharp arrows and that the glowing coals of the broom tree would fall upon them. That their lies would turn upon themselves and that their violence would come upon their own heads. And then at last, once God has vanquished his enemies, then, then there would finally be peace. Look at our last verse. Look at verse 7. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Peace is the true longing of all those who love the truth. And and our psalmist, this, this man of truth, longs for peace. That is his true desire. And this is the true desire of all those who belong to Jesus. Listen to Christ's words from his Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Consider the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Dear friends, as as Christ's people, you are not to be those who seek after strife, who seek after conflict. You are not to go looking for debates or to stir up trouble. Rather, you should seek peaceful resolutions with those who oppose you. You should desire to live quiet lives and in harmony, even with those with whom you are in disagreement. And yet, in the same breath, a true man of peace lives according to the truth. And oftentimes, the truth, when it is even when it is communicated in love, brings about strife with those who want to live by lies. This is why our psalmist says, that when I speak, they are for war. Know this, if you choose to live according to the truth, you will not have peace with those who love lies. It just won't happen. Look at look at Psalm one o nine verses one through five. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good. And hatred for my love. Listen, you want to be hated by the world and speak the truth in love, for that is the one thing that the world hates. And that's because the truth always points to Jesus, and the world will do everything in its power to muzzle that truth. But why do they want to muzzle the truth? It's because the world doesn't want a Savior. The world doesn't think it needs a Savior. Because if it needed a Savior, then it would have to confess that its actions are evil. And that's why the world fights. That's why the world causes war. For they want to muzzle the truth. And So even though our psalmist is for peace, when he speaks, they are for war. In many ways, what our psalmist was going through foreshadows for us the life of Jesus, does it not? It was our Lord and Savior who who spoke the truth in love. Yet he was surrounded by deceitful tongues and those who craved violence. They spread lies about him, calling him a false prophet and a blasphemer. They claimed that it was by the power of Beelzebub that he cast out demons. And when he was on trial, they brought forward false witnesses to accuse him. And when Pilate tried to release him in their lust for violence, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! And so they beat him, and they spit upon him. They mocked him, and they, and they stripped him naked. They then pounded nails into his wrists, into his feet, and then allowed him to hang for all to see. And yet the words that came from the lips of our Lord were not lies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, it was the lying lips and the deceitful tongues that led to our Lord being crucified. And yet instead of desiring vengeance, Christ sought forgiveness And we, as God's people, should be grateful that He did. Because there was once a time when we were the ones who were spreading lies in our desire to bring about death. God showed to us His mercy rather than His wrath. And that was only possible because of what Christ had done for us. Do you have lying lips? Do you have a deceitful tongue? Then turn to Jesus before it's too late. Trust in the forgiveness that he offers to you from the cross. Because if you don't have Christ, the only thing that will be left for you are the sharp arrows of the warrior and the glowing coals of the broom tree. You must look to the truth. You must look to Jesus Christ. And yet if you are already in Christ, if you, if you are living by the truth, then know this. The lying lips of this world, the, the deceitful tongues of the culture of death, they will not have the last say. You have a God who hears your prayers, who hears your calls of distress. And even though you sojourn in Meshach, even though you dwell in the tents of Qadar, even though in this world of violence you do not feel at home, you can be confident in this. Jesus Christ is bringing about His kingdom, where its foundations is built upon the truth and its pillars produce peace. And so in your distress, call out to the Lord, and He will answer you. Let's pray. Father we ask now that you would hear our cries of distress. Just as our psalmist, we too live in a world full of deception and violence. Help us to live by the truth. Help us to be purveyors of peace. Deliver us from the wicked schemes of our enemies so that we may live in the peace of your kingdom. This can only be brought about By your powerful hand, deliver us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.